Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast, featuring in-depth conversations with executives, leaders, influencers, and journalists in this dynamic, high-stakes industry. Hosted by Craig Pickett, founder of Northstar Group, the boutique executive search firm for the aerospace industry. You'll learn how top aerospace executives are developing their people, competing for talent, overcoming challenges, and adjusting to industry trends to drive growth and profits. And now, let's join your host, Craig Pickett. So welcome to the uh, the Aerospace Executive Podcast. <laughs> today, we got, today we got Matt Johnson. Matt is my, uh, my good friend. Uh, he's my producer of the podcast. Mm-hmm. He is uh, an acclaimed entrepreneur, an author, and an all-around great guy. <laughs> and we're going to talk about getting A players onto your team because it's a challenge we all have. Matt, how are you? I'm doing awesome, Craig. How are you? I'm good. What's going on in San Diego today? Uh, well, we are in the throes of June gloom. So believe it or not, I think every it's the one part of the year where every part of the entire country is nicer than it is in San Diego right now. But I will persevere. California dreaming, baby. That's right. <laughs> So we've got a bunch of stuff to get into. So I'm excited for this episode because I get to kind of turn the tables on you. uh, And we're going to talk about my perspective, but we're going to talk about your perspective too. So we've got a few things to go over with regards to leadership and why you need A plus players, A plus talent, the difference between A plus talent and everybody else when it comes to actually leading and getting things done. We've got a bunch of fun stuff to get into. No doubt. And, and, you know, it's interesting. I had a, I had a conversation with a, with a guy last night and he called me up and he was talking about, you know, his, his son, he's a good friend of mine. He was talking about his, his son and he's, he's ADD. He's all over the place. 20, 23, 24 years old, trying to find himself. And he sticks with things for about a minute and then he moves on and it's like, okay, so we'll start, you know, we'll start with, you know, the one shot, I'll give it a try. Just doesn't work. I don't know. I don't know how long, you know, I, I don't know what your sense of that whole thing is, but I love these people uh, who are like, hey, we'll give you, you give you one try, okay, and and we're impatient, yeah, and you know, um, maybe the old adage, patience is a virtue. Uh, yes, I think in in the new economy, patience and and especially focus is going to be the thing that defines whether people are successful or not. Um, I, some of my best friends I would qualify as ADD, some of the best entrepreneurs, most successful entrepreneurs and business owners I know are ADD, ADHD, dyslexic, the whole nine yards. Um, but for whatever reason, the, the guys that are successful that have made it work are the guys who, in spite of the ADD, when they find that thing that they can focus on, man, they are all in. Um, and I think there's a lot of people out there that are just, and I was like this when I was in my early twenties, like I could have been all in. I just didn't find the thing that I wanted to go all in on. I kept trying things and realizing I would get into it. I'm like, this is just, it's not, it's not what I want to do. I think it takes a while for people to get that. But if you're ADD, ADHD, dyslexic, whatever, like when you find that thing, go super, super deep and you can be extremely successful. Just focus, you know, focus, but companies are the same way. Companies are becoming the, the very same. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it, and maybe it's just a product of the times. Yeah. Technology's moving, technology's moving fast. It is. Um, yeah, the marketplace is moving fast. I mean, you've got mm-hmm. disruptors out there today that, you know, you, know you, you think about two years ago, three years ago, you know, all of a sudden, you know, disruptors are coming into a market. You're like, whoa, 
what is going on? How do we, you know, how do we counterbalance? In the meantime, you know, you've got companies which are big moving, slow lumbering battleships. They yeah. can't react, or when they do react, they're so far they're 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 trying to take on too much. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they try to take on too much all at once, and yeah, you know, the lack of focus becomes becomes readily becomes readily apparent. I was I was talking to uh, one of my other clients about this the other day, and I something to, I said something to the effect of the famous last words of any business owner: "I can do both." Yeah. <laughs> I can do both. Uh, <laughs> we, we're always trying to like straddle that, straddle two different strategies, right? Um, trying to go in, you know, we see a disruptor come into the market. And we're like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try to, you know, combat them with this move over here, but I'm gonna keep doing what we're all, what we're already doing. And we'll just do both like that. So rarely ever works. You end up having to commit to one thing or the other. And I think what's interesting about, you mentioned like technology changing and accelerating, uh, I think the most important, like the most important asset ends up being your intellectual capacity and your internal talent and your ability to like strategically adjust to the changing times and the changing demands of consumers and, and the people that are buying our stuff, because that is now like the pace of all that stuff is compressing, right? Yeah. Technology is compressing it. People's attention spans are compressing. Like there's a lot of factors, but just business in general is just accelerating and picking up. And I think the companies that will win over the next, let's say hundred years are the ones that can not only scale up and, but also scale down if we need to, by just yep. having that core group of super talented A plus players that can adjust and expand the business to the demands of the times. And, you know, as new competitors come in, they have the talent to scale, like go into that comp, you know, fight off that competitor and then get back to the core of the business. You know, like all these, all these things are extremely hard to do. They're extremely mentally taxing and they take a lot of talent. They take a plus talent. We can't have B and C players and expect them to be able to make those types of adjustments. Yeah. And it's interesting. You're not a, you're not an aviation guy, so you're not reading the the periodicals, but Mm. You know, what's happening in aerospace is all the behemoth players are consolidated. They're, they're trying to consolidate. Okay. So Boeing is going, hey, look, we've got, we're leaving a lot of money on the table because we've got all these other people that are taking away our aftermarket. Hmm. We've got United Technologies and Rockwell Collins, two big names in the, in the industry. They're consolidating and saying, hey, look, we can take more. So all of a sudden now you're getting these multi, multi-billion dollar huge conglomerates. I'm, I'm skeptical about the whole strategy. Maybe I'm wrong, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I'm looking at Boeing, the size of it is now getting bigger. <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden everybody starts talking about, okay, it's a big army versus, uh, you know, it's a big army versus a, a squad of Navy SEALs. Yes. And everybody says, well, hell, forget about the big army. I'd rather have the squad of Navy SEALs. Yeah. So, you know, you talk about scaling up and scaling down. It's, it's a function of how do you yeah, how do you get this big behemoth of a company to act tactically, other than just being yeah. a bully? Well, yes, and that's the thing is it's and it is very. It goes back to military strategy. You have to have if you have a big, undisciplined, unfocused army. The only way to win is just through attrition, which is not exactly a very fun nor strategically satisfying way to win. Right. And if that's what they're going for, if that's an intentional strategy better get as many soldiers as you can because they're going to have to throw them at the, at the opposing force. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's funny cause I was just reading 
I went through a whole bunch of Al Reese's stuff here in the last couple of weeks. He's the guy that wrote The Immutable Laws of Marketing and a book called Focus, which is an amazing book. Whether you're into marketing or not, Focus is a fantastic book. He actually breaks down, and this was written in like the 90s. So he breaks down a bunch of mergers and acquisitions that were done in the 70s and 80s. And then he traces them and shows how many of them didn't work and they end up divesting. Of course, the, the big business announcements, we all, we all love for, for whatever reason, yeah. we in business and the business media especially love the story of the acquisition. Right. right. And all the synergies and the amazing things that are going to come out of this acquisition, all this stuff. And then five years later, it's sold at a write-down loss. Right? Yeah, that, exactly. That doesn't get covered usually. Right. right. Well, GE. Yeah. Look at GE. You know, the great article the other day, what the hell happened to GE? And they, you know, <laughs> they bought everything under the sun and they thought they were cool. Yeah. And they bought it at the peak of the market, couldn't figure out what to do with it. And they sold it for you know, huge losses. Now they're cash crunched. Yeah. So the, uh, the whole thing doesn't work, but you know, but it's funny with me as an executive recruiter, I get companies calling me up all the time going, we are dying for this guy or dying for this girl. We need this. We need a VP of engineering. And we'd like you to work on it, and we want to work on it, mm-hmm. and we want Sally, Dick, and Jane to work on it all too, and and whoever comes up because we're dying, we need it done fast. Mm-hmm. And then what they don't realize is that me, I'm not really focused on it because you're not focused on me, right? Sally, Dick, and Jane really don't give two hoots because you know the payoff for them is is is, is you know you know it's a pipe dream. You know, mm-hmm. so, so ultimately this, this company that is dying for you know, a phenomenal VP of engineering can't get one because, yeah. n- you know, nobody wants to pay attention and give them the time of the day. So, well, and that know, goes back ADD, to focus, right? If you're ADD, you have, you have a lot of people not focusing on it, or you could have one people focusing obsessively on finding the right person. It's better to have one person that's focused than right. a bunch of people who aren't. And so, Hey, look, let's create a strategy. Let's talk about what you want. Let's talk about the market. Who's mm-hmm. you? who can be gained quickly and, and drill down on a hundred people. I mean, it's a hundred, you know, but, but ultimately everybody thinks it's a big shotgun approach and, and, and mm-hmm. it's interesting to find out, you know, to see, you know, just what's happening in business in general because of that, you know, lack of focus or, you yep. know, some, some company, the Uber, the Uber focus on the wrong metrics. Um, yeah. What do you mean by the wrong metrics? The wrong metrics. Um, you know, bigger is better. We got to be, we got to be, you know, we got to be bigger. The, you know, the, the uh, great story about um, Starbucks and a guy who was, uh, who was, you know, he was a baker to Starbucks and, and his whole metrics was sales. I'm doing $10 million of sales to Starbucks every year. And it was 80% of his business. Mm-hmm. But once he broke it down, he figured out the return on investment. Starbucks was was minimal profit. It <laughs> was such a pain in the neck to work with, and they spread them out. Mm. They spread them out all over the place. Um, that he couldn't, you know. By the time he figured out the logistics and the cost of doing business with Starbucks, he said, "Well, forget those guys. I'll focus on my smaller customers." Yeah. And you know, sales went down by eighty percent, but his profits. Mm stayed the same. So, well, and this is the going back to the mergers and acquisitions conversation. This is what I think a lot of companies 
like ego drives so many of these decisions because obviously the top line, the bigger the top line is, the more we tend to be rewarded. Business press, um, you know, people buying our books, everything to, you know, the promotions to the board, like whatever, like everything is driven for the most part by top line. And the 80-20 rule always applies. So if you've got, if you're a conglomerate and you have 10 businesses under your umbrella, chances are eight of them aren't profitable. Or, right. not, or contribute extremely little. One to two may be very profitable and carrying all of the other seven or eight companies under your umbrella. And that applies at every level, right? It applies at people that are that just have a couple of handfuls of clients. It applies to people that, like you mentioned, the baker selling to Starbucks. Like the 80-20 rule just seems to show up all over the place. It shows up in talent. You know, you mentioned targeting 100 people. 80 of them are going to be a waste of time. Oh, absolutely. Right? It's always, absolutely. It's always about the 80-20 rule. It, it, the the Pareto principle has lived for a thousand years, <laughs> and it will live for a thousand more. That's right. And the interesting thing is, is, is company employees twenty percent of the people do eighty percent of the work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no matter who it is, you know, you, you know, but but you know, but therein lies the challenge. How do you keep that twenty percent mm-hmm. really happy and not brought down by the eighty percent who just show up at, you know, eight o'clock and leave at five. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, let's talk, let's talk about time because you, you've mentioned before like that time kills deals and this goes, you know, it, it ties hand in hand with the 80-20 rule and really focusing. So if a company is focused uh, on finding that, that A plus talent and filling out that 20% of their roster with people that are, that are at that level. Um, but if they drag their feet through the process of finding an on, like hiring and onboarding the right person, like what, why does that kill deals? Well, you know, it's, it's um, you work with a lot of real estate investors and, and, and real estate people. So it, it kind of goes like this. If I take, I find, I find a house or a piece of property I want a lot. And I'm willing to stroke the check for it. You know, but the seller drags his feet. Oh, you know, maybe I want 10 bucks more. Oh, maybe I want, you know, I want an extra 30 days on close. Oh, you know what? Maybe I really want, I don't want to sell it at all. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you've got a buyer, you've got somebody who's hot, heavy, ready to go to, to, to do the deal. And you can't figure out, you can't figure out what, you want. So you drag it. So as a seller, you drag it out. Mm-hmm. Companies are the same way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't find how many times, I can't tell you how many times, you know, they find the, the, the you know, you know, the, the 90, per, what I call the 90% executive. Okay. The, you know, nobody ever finds a hundred percent because it's not, it doesn't exist, but you find the person that fits 80 or 90% of the bill. They're, they're enthusiastic. They're motivated. They're ready to go. You know, let's get the offer letter out. And then all of a sudden the company drags its feet. Oh, wow. We, we, you got to meet Joe. Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, you know, our chairman really wants to meet you oh, or, you know, uh, we got to go back to the table. We got to figure out all this stuff. In the meantime, look, it's a hot, it's a hot market right now. I mean, employment, there are more jobs out there than there are people to fill them. Mm-hmm. Um, this year alone, I've had three situations where an executive has had multiple offers from multiple companies. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, it's like anything, time kills deals. So in the real estate, you know, if you drag your feet too long, you know, the person just says, okay, I'll go find something else that I like. Yeah. Maybe they find something a little less expensive that, you know, is, you know, equal. 
Mm-hmm. Or they find a little nicer property closer to the water. They say, hey, look, for another you know, 10 grand, I'll go buy that instead. So in the meantime, you know, it's, you know, it's the old sales adage, time kills deals. And, and um, you know, look, it, there's, you know, you're dragging your feet, making, you know, making them interview her interview one more person or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it just doesn't, you know, it, it just shows, it, it just shows a sense of wishy-washiness and, you know, I yeah, don't know anybody that ego, wants to go to work for wishy-washiness. part in that too. You know, the, the, there, there's a couple of things that I think ego comes in, especially with big well-known companies that have a great reputation and, and have been in the market for a long time, which is, I think that manifests itself and, Hey, you got to meet these 17 people and these 17 people have to all sign off and they all have to like you. The odds of one person, especially one person who's extremely talented, strong willed and has a strong, decisive personality that actually gets things done. They're going to rub somebody the wrong way at some point. The odds of yeah. them being liked by 10, 5, 10, 15, 20 different people within a company are extremely slim. Like, and that would be actually like, to me, if I were looking back, if I were the chairman of a company and somebody brings me a candidate and like 10 different people like them, I'm going, what's the wrong, what's the matter with that guy? Why is he so likable? Right. I want to know why 10 different people, 10 personalities all came away from that meeting, liking that guy. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's or, 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 yeah. Or, or, you know, it worse, it comes down to, you think about it, you got to meet I can't get five people to agree on where to go to lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. How am I going to get five people to agree on whether or not this is the right executive to hire in the role? So it ultimately comes down to, you know, if you, if you're like, okay, we got to have you meet 20 different people instantaneously, that shows me an insecurity. There is a corporate insecurity. Yep. And it's like, you know, I'm afraid to make a decision, so I'm going to have Joe help me. Right. And because I don't trust Joe, I'm going to have Sally help me with that too. And then, oh, wait, Fred and Alex and Cindy and Mary, well, they got to get involved. Yeah. So now I've got a dozen insecure people trying to make a decision. Oh, my God. And, and you know, just boom, blow my head off. Yeah. You know, kill it now. Let's just kill it now. So ultimately it comes down to, okay, let's, let's take it back. Mm-hmm. Who has really got the response? You know, if, if this is a division, let's just say it's a division president okay. role. The division president reports to whom? The CEO of the company. So ultimately, it falls on the CEO of the company. It's his responsibility. He should ultimately say, I'm the person who's making the decision. Right. Now, hey, look, I may want you to meet two or three other people. To, to learn about the operation and to ask the right questions and to get their input, but it's my decision. Yeah. And, and I'm going to tell them what, you know, maybe I give them a list. I say, this is what I want you to find out from this person. How has he driven his P&L? How has he leaned out operations? How has he increased sales? Or how has he reduced, you know, something or other? Mm-hmm. And to make sure that the story is consistent and that yeah. he can fit into our culture. But it's ultimately me who's got to make the decision. And, you know, nothing drives businesses more crazy than people who are afraid to make a decision. Well, yeah. And one of the great things that um, we were talking about this book before we started recording, the book Top Grading. One of the things that was great that was pointed out in that book is that B and a, a B player will never hire an A player. Correct. 
because they're threatened by an A player. They don't like an A player. They don't want an A player. If they're a B player, they don't want an A player coming into their organization. They definitely don't want them coming in at or above their level right. uh, or having to personally supervise a, somebody that's constantly pushing them to a higher level of performance or pushing them to a strategy that makes them uncomfortable. There, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons, but B players hire B players and C players. And that's the problem is you start, you get five or 10, 15 people involved in the hiring process. Odds are half of them, are B and C players just by sheer odds in the 80 20 rule, right? They're going to be some B and C players in there. Guess what? They're not going to like an A player. Correct. That's correct. And an A player won't go to work for a B player. Exactly. Because the A player looks at this guy and goes, you know what? In a year, I'll have that person's job. <laughs> and they know the minute they walk in, there's going to be this headbutting or there's going to be this competition. And it's, setting themselves up for fail. And it's like, Hey, look, I'll go to work for a, I'll go to work for a new company. And, and, yeah. and, you know, what do great leaders do? Great leaders aren't threatened by people. Hmm. They're like, Hey, look, you know, uh, you know, go, you know, go plant the flag, mm-hmm. come back and tell me when it's done. Yeah. But yeah. And when it's done, you look good because you, I, you did it. And I look good because it got done. Mm-hmm. You, know, you help me grow, I'll help you grow, and we're all we're all happy. Yeah. But you know, that, that, the, 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 yeah. The, right. The, the 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 B player the B player coming to work for an A player. Mm-hmm. Um, or vice sign versa. off on them. Yeah. It, it doesn't work. Yeah, and there, there's another there's another aspect of the whole ego thing we were talking about earlier that I think gets a lot of uh, whether it's at the entrepreneurial level or the big company level, we all we all have the temptation, the pitfall to do it which is not recognizing that the 80-20 rule applies to talent and, and to business strategy and those, especially those two things combined, right? right. So, we, so we have like a certain, like a lot of times kind of the strategy of things is decided at the board and the, and the corporate level. And then they want to hire somebody to implement that change in strategy, right? right. Well, let's assume for a second we've got the strategy right. And that's a stretch in and of itself. But let's assume just for the sake of argument that we've got the strategy right and we just have to get the right person to execute the strategy. Well, right. you still have to get the right person that can execute that. So like they have to be a fit to execute that strategy and the strategy itself has to be right. And each of those have their own 80-20 rules. Right. Out of 100 different strategic directions we could go, only 20 of them are going to be good. The other 80% suck. Right. Right. Same thing. You have to match the strategy with the talent and the talent that we pick has to be able to execute the strategy that we are picking or we have to hire people that can set the strategy. And that's one of their strengths is determining and weeding out those 80 percent of the strategy ideas that don't work and finding the 20 that do and going all in on those 20. Uh, And I think a lot of companies, companies that have been around for a long time, look at their name, their reputation, their history and go, yeah, but it's us. Like we'll figure it out. Like we got, we got yeah. it. We got this. We, we're yeah. all right. We just need, we just need, we just need a widget to plug into this place, and they'll produce the same result. And like, like we mentioned earlier, we we're talking about um, uh, some of the topics. You know, like they'll set a pay, a level of pay that they're willing to give right. for what the certain result is, with no regard for what's actually for the talent that would actually take to pull off what they want to do, and what right. that talent would actually require to come to their company. Like, yeah, we have this problem, but we're only going to pay this so, so much to solve it. We've already got the strategy. This is the strategy, and this is what we're willing to pay for. And you're sitting back going, the A player's not going to work for you for that. Well, well, you know, I look at it and I go, you know, I, I had a conversation with, uh, I had a conversation one time, and they're like, we want somebody who can change a culture. 
We want an A plus player who can change a culture. Well, okay. Love that. Okay. And, and I'm like, okay, where are you at? And they go, well, it's going to be a general manager title. Great. So we're talking about, you know, general manager, aerospace, site leader, 200, 220 grand base, 30, 40% bonus. Oh, no, 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 no. We're nowhere near that. Well, where are we? That's the market. That's the market. Right. Where are we? We're at 170 max. Okay. I'm like, oh, okay. So let's, let's back into this deal. Uh-huh. To get a $170,000 a year person, that means you really got to go find a $150,000 a year person who's ready to take that next step. Okay. How many $150,000 a year people are ready to take the next step to $120,000 or to $170,000 a year and can change a culture? Right. Do, you know, if, are they ha- at, the, at the, the wisdom? Do they have the wisdom and the experience? Or do they need that one more step? So, so inevitably, what I tell companies is I say, look, you've got a problem. And half the time, you, half the reason you have the problem is because you've got too low level of a person mm-hmm. le- you know, leading it. Yeah. You know, you know, we want a $150,000 a year guy. Well, the reason you got a, hundred, you know, a problem is because you have a $150,000 a year guy or girl, you know, mm-hmm. trying to fix the problem. Yeah, so, and so like that, their their decision on how much they want to spend dictates that they can only get a B or a C player in there. And if you've got a strategy, if you if you've set a strategy out for your company, and that strategy can only be executed by an A plus player, and you're not willing to play to pay for an A plus player, you're not like that strategy will not work. Correct. And companies way overestimate the strength of their name, the strength of their culture, the strength of their, just the fact that they've been in business for a long time, that they can plug somebody in and just decide to do something without regard for how, like how talented that person is. And even whether their specific superpowers, X factors, whatever you want to call them, the things that they're really good at, if they match up and align with the strategic, like the strategy that they want them to execute. Right. Right. So, I mean, even, even within a players, let's say you get an a player and you're willing to pay for them. You still have to take it into account. What are they really good at? What makes them an a player? And that's part of what your job is, is to look at that person and go, yeah, out of all these skill sets that they need to have, they're really good at these two or three things. And it just so happens that the position that this company is looking for needs those two or three things to actually execute the strategy they want to execute. Like it takes someone, if the company isn't doing it, you have to come in and you have to be that person that figures out, okay, this is where it aligns. This is where the strategy and the person aligns. Right. Well, you know, look at, you know, and and it comes back to your, your ego, quote mm. you know uh, uh, you know facebook and whatsapp okay so the guys who founded whatsapp couldn't get jobs at facebook <laughs> well they got the last laugh didn't they so so ultimately they go off on their own like a lot of you know hey look some of the most horrible employees are the most brilliant i'm sorry but they're they're <laughs> yeah they're they're yeah so these guys couldn't get hired That's by true. google they couldn't get hired by facebook so they go out and they start this little company called WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. And I think five or six years later, Facebook comes knocking on their door and going, we want to buy you for $19 billion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's probably, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah time is not going to kill deals on that one. Yeah. <laughs> cool. That's right. Sign me up. There's a company in uh, Florida called Stockcom Direct. Okay. The guy who founded Stockcom Direct, which is now a leader in 
satellite communications and airplanes and military. You know, you think about UAVs and he was a Rockwell Collins engineer and he had the vision and Rockwell Collins couldn't see the vision. You know, you think about, you know, you, you, you think about the, you know, people saying, you know, we got it. No, thank you. We don't, we don't need your help. You know, mm -hmm. we got it. You know, Xerox, how many, how many people did they say that to or, or Kodak? Yeah. Yeah. GE, you know, how many people told you know, GE, once again, you know, managing the wrong metrics. Yep. You know, Jeff, Jeff Immel went to his board and he convinced them that five or six acquisitions were really good purchases, mm. but he was looking at the wrong metrics. And he convinced them that they were all done there. And then all of a sudden, you know, hey, look, nobody asked the question, what if? Yeah. So it's the ultimate, you know, a, a, a lot of great companies have been ruined by ego yeah. uh, and arrogance. Yeah. Um, it's amazing how it shows up in huge, huge companies, right? It's not just like, it's easy, like it's easier for me to see because I'm more in the entrepreneurial wild, wild west of like smaller businesses, smaller teams where, where you're usually dealing with directly with the CEO founder. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's easy to, easier, I should say, to see the ego manifest in the business because they have so much direct control over the expression of the business and what mm -hmm. the business looks like. Uh, it, it is amazing to think that, that entire huge behemoth companies are driven by some of the same forces. It just takes a little longer sometimes for it to come out. Hey, look, I'll have a good year. And, 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 and yeah, after a good year, I got to have a conversation with myself, you know, don't get over your skis. You know, maybe it was, you know, there's, there's this thing called luck skill, <laughs> and market forces and they all balance. Right. You're yeah. Hey, look, everybody, you know, you're just not that good. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's not get too big for our britches here. Let's let, let you know, let's, let's not, you know, exactly. Okay. I like that. You got to, got to keep yourself grounded. Sometimes. So, you know, from a personal perspective, it's like, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm the man. Well, no, I'm really not. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's this old, um, I can't remember where I heard this, but apparently some of the, uh, some of the emperors in, in ancient Rome, and maybe it even goes back to, to Greece, uh, they would ride in on the chariot after Victoria, like returning victorious from battle, and they'd have an attendant in the chariot with them, that as they're going down the streets and people are throwing roses and, and olive branches, and they're, like they're, they're just worshiping them basically because they're the returning hero god, they would have an attendant just whispering into their ear, all, all glory is fleeting. All yeah. glory is fleeting. <laughs> such a great, such a great anecdote. Like we need, we need, like the head of GE needs that guy just hanging around whispering. Yeah, him. it's like it's like great. So what? Yeah, it's like the ultimate sales thing. Okay, so 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 what are you going to do for me tomorrow? Yes, yeah, exactly. I can tell you, like, uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's finish out with this. Um, you know, we talked about how timing can kill deals, wishy-washy, um, you know, make forcing A players into a funnel where they have to talk to a bunch of B and C players and potentially even work for them. All very, very bad things for attracting the right people. Uh, let's talk about getting to the very end of the process. And you've got this A player lined up. You've got them teed up. They're excited. They're ready. And then you come back and the company wants to make them a lowball offer. Not because they can't afford it. Not because it's not in their budget. Just because they want to try to see what they can get. So how does that play out and why is that such a bad thing? Well, look, you know, I've seen, you know, I've seen lowball offers negotiated out. And you go, hey, look, it's, you know, no. You know, no, they're, you know, just... Save it. Flat, no. I'm not even going to be, I'm not even, you know, it's like, hey, look, it's like anything, real estate or, mm. you know, whatever. You know, I don't know, I, I, you know, 
you know, unless someone's desperate, a low ball offer won't work. And then, you know, quite frankly, if they're desperate and you're willing to, and they're willing to jump on a low ball offer, is that really the person you want anyway? Right. So look, at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, uh, upfront conversations are easy to have. What is it going to take to get this person on board? Mm-hmm. And, you know, what is that going to look like? You know, A, B, C, or D. Um, you know, the, you know, and, and, and the, per, you know, 99% of the time, it's kind of like in a negotiation. He who talks first loses. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. You know, what do you need? Oh, I'll t- 200 grand sounds good to me. Sold. Oh my gosh. How much money to live on, leave on the table? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where, where, do you think you, where do you think you're at? You're like, Hey, look, we're at 20. Well, yeah, no. Yeah, low ball offers, low ball offers are just dumb. Yeah. And yeah, once again, it shows a lack of, I think it shows a lack of, uh, uh, you know, not lack of integrity with a company when they throw a low ball offer, but a lack of security. And, hmm. you know, they don't really understand the value and the benefit. Yeah, hey, look, it's, you know, some, you know, some jobs are, you know, 20, 30, dollar an hour jobs. They will always be 20 because you just, you know, look, it's a, yeah, you keep the trains guy, running on time. It's a guy in a project. Yeah. You keep the trains running on time, but to find that person who's going to make a difference, you know, what's it worth? You know, is that 50 grand? Is that 50 grand more that you're going to have to pay them? If you're a billion dollar company, you got to pay a VP 50 grand more mm-hmm. than you really want to. Is it going to make a big difference in your life? No. Does it buy a lot of loyalty and aggressiveness from them? Yeah. Yeah. If he delivers ten million dollars more to the bottom line, that what's that fifty grand look like to you? Yeah. You know, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so Yeah, and I think that's that's part of it is just it's recognizing that the individual within the organization actually does have that much power and and the incremental difference that it takes to attract an A player versus a B player you get exponentially better results from the A player. You don't just get incrementally better. And I think that's really, that, that's what a lot of people, a lot of, you know, whether they're in business or not, really have a hard, hard time wrapping their brain around that idea that the difference between an A player and a B player isn't 20% better. It's a hundreds, five hundreds, a thousand percent better. They just produce that much more better results. Right. Um, and part of it comes down to just understanding that not like out of a hundred different strategic directions you could take only 10 or 20 are even good options. And within that, maybe only five or even one out of a hundred will actually make a huge difference. And if you can find the A player that knows how to find that one, that needle in a haystack, as far as the strategic decision, right. Will actually move the needle significantly like that one decision, even if they suck at everything else, that one right strategic decision can make up for everything else and set the company up for the next 10 or 20 years. You just never know. But we know that like that, that is how things work in reality. That's not how we like to think that things work. That is how they actually work. Um, and I think a lot of companies get in trouble uh, by looking for people that, and there's, I fully believe in finding people that are a culture fit. But yep. that doesn't mean that you're not going to have any headbutting between like your division heads, your VPs. Like there, there absolutely should be butting of heads between sales and marketing, sales and production, right? You should have people that are unbelievably passionate about right. 
their division and they want their division to be the best and they want to take over the freaking world. And those two divisions in those examples should always be in opposition to an extent because yeah. operations should be obsessed with quality and delivering exactly what is going to knock the socks off the customer. And sales should be obsessed with selling more stuff, regardless of what actually gets delivered on the back end. Like there should always be that natural conflict. And then you have to have super strong, like a players are going to have extremely strong dominant personalities. If they have the capability to lead billion dollar divisions or billion dollar companies, yeah. they're going to have that. That's not to say they're not culture fits, but there should be that, that, that headbutting. Um, if you try to eliminate that, what you'll end up getting is you'll have a culture of B and C players. Yeah. And I think what it comes down to is it's like this. You find that A plus player, understand that there's three or four companies right behind you. Yeah. But if they learned about him or her, they'd be all over it. So your low ball offer, the person, you know, Hey, look, the person, if they're willing to, they're, they're like, Hey, look, I'm, you know, I'm out. I'm walking away. You know, I'll wait six months. And I'll go find somebody else. Hopefully it's not one of your competitors. Right. You know? <laughs> so there you go. And I think it comes down to, hey, look, you know, it's not a function of, hey, we got our little HR, you know, or a directors make this much and vice presidents right. make this much. It's what do we want this person to accomplish? And how much are we willing to pay for that extra achievement? Mm-hmm. And, you know, look, you don't have to go crazy. But at the end of the day, you know, if you find somebody that's, you know, you know $250,000 a year player, you don't offer them one hundred and fifty in a prayer mm-hmm. thinking they're going to come on board. You know, that's, yeah, that's a very short conversation. No. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Thank you for playing. <laughs> Thank you <Next>. for playing. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the market price of anything is dictated by the alternatives. That's exactly it. Yeah. So, I mean, you just look at, you know, look at what, what the other companies, and that's why people obviously rely on someone like you because you're the guy that's talking to all the other companies and you know what the true market and what the true alternatives are for the candidates out there. Like, you know what they're considering. You know what they're being headhunted out of their current companies to go do and what, they're, what the numbers are. Um, so if you're a company, like they need to talk to someone that has kind of that, it's, it's, it's inside baseball, essentially. They need someone that has that inside information. Um, just like if you're making an offer on an investment property, wouldn't you like to have someone that knows what all those investment properties are worth, not only in that area, but around the country to understand what you're bidding against and what the alternatives are. Yeah. If you have that information, you can make an informed choice and make a good offer. Yeah, or we were talking about you know before we before we uh, we came on live. We were talking about the one company that had you know, three fatal mishaps right in seven months. You know your insurance rates are about ready to double. Your 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 shareholders are all over you. Your customers are going, "What the hell's going on?" You know, what's that? What's that? You know, you know, the the all star VP of safety. What's yeah. that worth to you? Yep. Versus the alternative. Yeah. Would you like to still have a company five years from now? That's exactly yeah. it. Well, yeah. and it goes back, like we mentioned, the strategic decision. I mean, think about the decision Tylenol had, I think it was in the 80s, um, when the, the they their bottles were tampered with. And yeah, exactly. So like that one executive that made the decision to recall and like literally save that entire brand, like Tylenol would not be around today if it right. hadn't been for that one strategic decision. So that one person in the right place at the right time made a decision to save that company. Yep. So that's, that's who they, that, the company with the three fatalities, <laughs> they need to find that guy. They need to find that guy quick. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's all good, but that's kind of where, you know, look, it's, it's all about, you know, we, you know, understanding where you're going. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, what are the, what, you know, the A players, what are they looking for? They're looking for companies that understand where they're going. 
Mm-hmm. They're looking for a place where they can make a difference. They want to be well compensated. Yep. And they want to work for people of, of equal caliber. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, that's what I think when companies are looking to hire eight people, ultimately that's what they should be looking for. Yeah. You know, someone with a lot of drive, someone who, you know, has got their, you know, has got an ego but knows how to check it. Yep, exactly. Can work within the organization but can lead the organization and isn't afraid to ruffle some feathers and wants to make a little money. Nothing wrong with that. I think with that, we've, we've, we've probably run out of time. I, th- I think we have, but we covered everything that we wanted to cover. So this is a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed it. Thank you for, uh, thanks for joining us from San Diego today. Thanks, Greg. So what's your book? What's the book you're writing? So the book that I'm writing is all about how to build a new type of business where we actually raise up other entrepreneurs and uh, solve big, valuable problems and be able to scale up and down without employees. When's it coming out? I'll be out later this year, around October, November. Let us know. I will do that. All right, Matt. Thank you. Thank you.